episode 12. Super High Sci-Fi begins right now in your ears. Uh, we have Sam with us again today, so he's formally released from Jabba's custody. It's all finalized. We have the title. <laughs> hey there. And as usual, uh, Grant and I are in our spacious Cincinnati studio. Oh, hi. So that was Grant. <laughs> uh, we have some, obviously, some news about uh, some new trailers that have come out over the week. The, or not, I should say one trailer, Terminator Genesis trailer number two, and then Star teaser. Wars teaser number two. So it's not really a trailer, just a bunch of things from the movie stuck together. And there yeah. was some Jurassic World footage released. Yes, there's Jurassic World footage released. Mm. But I, I don't really know if, like, was that a trailer? It was kind of, they released a scene from the movie. Yeah, that was like a, like right. a I don't know what you call it. So I consider that a teaser. Mm. I saw yeah. some shots. I don't know if I saw a whole scene. Yeah, there's a whole scene with Bryce Dallas Howard and uh, Chris Pratt. Oh, yeah, yeah, I did see that. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I, I don't think that it's... It's. I think that's different from a trailer, though, kind of, because it's the scene doesn't have... The trailer usually explains like more of what's going on in the movie broadly, but I thought it was pretty cool. It looks good from what I saw of that. I mean, if you guys want to start talking about that... Yeah, I hope it's going to be good because I, I do. Lo- I love Chris Pratt from. Uh, I'm a big Parks and Recreation fan, and he kind of. I feel like he cut his teeth a lot there, being a good comedian there. So I'm happy to see him do well. I just hope. I hope uh, Jurassic World is going to be good. It, it it has potential, you know. I he's a good. He can certainly, as I think Guardians of the Galaxy showed everyone, he can definitely uh, carry a movie a decent amount. He's entertaining to watch for a good couple hours. Yeah, and and you know this is this is a sci-fi type concept making dinosaurs, cloning them, and everything. And he's got raptors in like in his crew and everything. And I guess there's some sexual tension with the uh, with the raptors, yeah, yeah, with the raptors, no, with uh, the ice queen lady who's like, oh, dinosaurs are getting boring, so let's uh, let's mutate a dinosaur and grow one ourselves. And he's the voice of reason. You know, nature being like, yeah, we should, they're already smart enough. Probably shouldn't be uh, making them making them even more advanced or anything. And of course, he's the one who's going to get who gets disregarded and everything. And I think didn't the scene kind of show just some of them their sexual tension, like referencing them going out on a date once or something, and then her never calling him back or something like that. That's a cold blooded move, you might say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, I think the fact that we're getting a glimpse that there might be some actual depth to the characters in this movie or relationships between them, like we got in the first Jurassic Park movie, but not so much in the other two. I think that if they can execute well on that, then I'm happy about it. The real thing from the trailer that he hinted at that I really am excited to see more of those, he hints at this relationship he has with the Raptors and how he works with them, doesn't control them. Mm. I want to see how they explore that in the movie. That was, I think that was the best part of them releasing that scene to me because that sounds like an exciting concept because the Raptors have always been uh, the villains in the movie, so to speak. So they're kind of turning the tables, and I really like that. I just hope that we're not going to get more of the Raptors from Jurassic Park 3 who just want their eggs back. No, and they don't, yeah. they don't have feathers in this movie either. And they did they, away with that. They just they take the eggs in their hands and they like bow their heads, thanks, and run away. Right? Yeah. yeah. No more of that. 
I want the Raptors from the first one that get pissed off and drum their finger, their claws while uh, they're looking for the little kids to eat them. Right. Those were the badass ones. Oh, so yeah, it seems like they snap at him and everything. He's just got a. It's it's a very much a primal animal type thing about respect, I guess, and showing your strength and being like the alpha, probably. Something yeah. along those lines. I mean, uh, on the subject of the ultimate alpha male in the world, Arnold Schwarzenegger is back again. At, I think in at least two different forms, according to the trailer, maybe three. There's the old Terminator, and then there's the new Terminator, who he's been waiting for. And there's, there's probably another, like, 50 Arnolds that are going to have in, like, some sort of clone factory. Was there multiple? I didn't realize when I watched the trailer, I didn't see. I just saw the old Arnold, and then there was, like, an Asian guy being the, like, the one that could turn into liquid metal. And then there was, I guess, if you haven't seen it, little spoiler tag here. There's the um, John Connor type Terminator as well. Where was the, who? I didn't see another Arnold. It, it's in the near the end of the trailer, but old Arnold says, I've been waiting for you, and he starts attacking the young Arnold, who, from what the background looks like, it's where he originally beamed in to Los oh. Angeles in the first movie with the punks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they're probably going to do another CGI-paced Arnold's young face onto the body of another bodybuilder yeah, slash That's what model. it looked like, <laughs> right. even from the trailer. Like, how are they going to do it otherwise? Yeah. Yeah. So and just have like an epic battle between Arnold and himself. <laughs> and and yeah. then then he's going to be also fighting uh, John Connor. So that's can can we break that down a bit? So it seems like John Connor is now also kind of a Terminator. He's got like micro terminator nano terminators inside of him or something. Yeah, I, just, I guess he he says in the trailer that he's not a machine and he's not a man. He's something more now. He's also not American. I don't know who they got to play him, but he <laughs> needs to work on the American accent a little bit before he jumps on film again. I think I read somewhere that um, I don't know if this is true or not. That it's a thought that maybe he's like an extension. He's a physical manifestation of Skynet now that's sent back to the past. Although. You'd think that all the Terminators, with the exception of Schwarzenegger's version when he was freed, are kind of an extension of Skynet. So I don't know how that really works, unless it's like it houses itself directly in him with all these like nano Terminator bots or whatever. I just think they gave away the movie with this trailer. I mean, they could have that could have been a big thing that they just showed in the movie, like, oh shit, like John Connor's this Terminator hybrid now. What are you gonna do? But they just they revealed that and they spoiled the whole thing in this trailer because I think they know that this movie is gonna suck and they're just <laughs> trying to drum up as much interest in it as they possibly can before it hits the theaters. <laughs> I think that's a fair assessment. Yeah. I think they they were probably afraid it's like, oh no one's gonna want to come see this. It's gonna be like the same thing. Oh, there's a little difference or whatever. And so they're like, all right, well we gotta show our one of our big guns here and we just won't tell them like why he's kind of a terminator now as well, and then people will be interested. Yeah, well I'm I mean, honestly I'm probably gonna see the movie. Yeah. Even if it sucks, but I, I, it plays like fan fiction. It seems like uh, the way that the the story plot points break down in the trailers so far, it, it just reads like fan fiction. All it's like, like a the, what if. Well, yeah, all these convoluted mashups and trying to like, uh, you know, wedge 
story points into things that have already happened from like different points of view and stuff and having their own playing fast and loose with the timeline. It, 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 I mean, seriously, I think you go to any fan fiction website and find this story on there. Mm. Yeah. I mean, they kind of open a can of worms though with like the whole, now I'm going to go back in time to get the guy I sent back in time to get the guy who went back in time to get, me after the first guy failed to get my mother when he went back in time. Mm. Like, why not just have Terminator 1685 and kill Sarah Connor's like 85 removed generations relative <laughs> great, 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 great grandfather or something. Right. And it, also, am I the only one who doesn't like Jai Courtney as Kyle Reese? Uh, I'm indifferent. I, yeah, I just... I, there, I, we didn't really ever learn enough about the adult Kyle Reese for me to really think like he's not the right person for it. But Jai Courtney is just, you know, he's really bland. Well, I yeah. mean, when Michael Bean did it, it, it's like you could tell that he grew up in this post-nuclear Holocaust society. I mean, the guy was totally shell-shocked and he did a really great job of portraying that on the screen. And he was always on edge. Well, and, you know, in the trailer, they're breaking into like Skynet's time travel lab right and yeah. jai courtney says like you know oh you gotta let me save her or something and it's like <laughs> the way he says it is just you know it's like he doesn't even care he's just like oh i'll do let it me, let me save her oh <laughs> uh, yeah how about me how I about me nothing to do this afternoon so <laughs> yeah no I'll, go, I'll go get some pizza don't worry i got right. it guys yeah, like, yeah i'll be right back <laughs> I, I i wish they'd let that universe die t1 was good t2 was great T three was meh, but you know what? I wish they just like even the, what was the one before this where it was just that rando dude that like salvation salvation guy that was just like let's just do a story for like just to make some more money here and it kind of joins up. It's like oh at the end of it, uh yeah sure John Connor can take my extra heart and then I can do something good and get some redemption. Like uh, it's just a they're just like squeezing blood from a stone at this point like with all the fucking movies they're trying to do with terminator like i almost wonder if schwarzenegger was like hey guys i'm not governor anymore let's do another terminator movie i i think that's probably exactly what happened <laughs> and I, I i agree with you completely i think they should have just let this one die or just let it lay low for a while because yeah. salvation was really bad terminator 3 was passable but not one that i would watch if i had a choice mm -hmm. and that's what this trailer seemed a lot like terminator 3 so they're trying to force all these additional plot points and kind of change or uh change elements of the timeline so they can fit another story in and also the cheesy humor the attempts at humor which worked really well in t2 because you didn't expect it but in terminator 3 it kind of bordered on self-parody yeah. Yeah, now it's going to like I don't really dumb shit like oh Arnold's going to smile. Oh, he, I'm I'm trying to help him be more human. We're we're working on that one. It's like a fucking family guy mm. terminator scene. Yeah. And it's just I think that I my prediction has come to pass. This is literally just every line you remember about Terminator, every moment, every catchphrase is just dropped in somewhere. You know, I'll be back before I jump out of the helicopter to attack the Chinese T-1000. Yeah. Come with me if you want to live. Like, oh, hey, remember that was the... Kyle Reese said that the first time. See how that's changed now? <laughs> and 
I, this is going to be dog shit. It's my prediction. But I'm sure that there's a bunch of younger moviegoers who will, who will see this who haven't seen the other Terminator movies, and they'll be like, "Oh my god, what you said! Come with me if you want to live. That was so cool, man." <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's just like all those kids who were on Twitter saying, like, oh, we got Titanic actually sunk. No way. I had oh, no you idea. mean there's more Terminator movies? <laughs> it's like, yes, there was. You know, the world existed before 2000, guys. There was more shit that happened. Mm. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, it's just unfortunate. And I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's going to suck based on what we've seen so far. I'm equally worried about the the Star Wars trailer or the teaser that dropped. I was much more impressed by that though than the Terminator. Oh one. yeah, I mean yeah, that was it was so much better than Terminator. But I'm still worried about it. All right, <laughs> so let's go into it. Why are you worried then? Yeah. Well, you, you can't be doing that. It just makes the spring wiggle and the. I'm concerned about the the Star Wars trailer because it just seems like. Not in the same way they're jamming all the Terminator references into Terminator, but they're just jamming a bunch of Star Wars type shit into the movie. And I, what really the moment that I really was like, oh no, was the long shot of the Millennium Falcon fly, like flying into the Star Destroyer engine, huh. and it, it had like the rubber band, <clears throat> the rubber band zoom from like Battlestar Galactica. Mm. And, it's, and it's, oh, okay, so this really this this isn't about like the characters or anything important. It's about, we're going to fly the Millennium Falcon through the Star Destroyer engine and it's going to have a TIE fighter battle and we're going to blow some stuff up. It's like, oh boy. You know what it calls? I didn't think about it until you, you spoke about it like that. It almost reminds me of, um, when they brought the TIE, the Millennium Falcon into like that giant space worm in the original three movies a little bit. Remember that um, when they're yeah, hiding? Yeah. Asteroid field chase. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of that a little bit. So maybe they're trying to call back to that a little bit, but also, you know, do some of the new things like a BSG type close counter, close uh, quarters battle. I was really impressed with the trailer or, or the teaser. Sorry. I was, I was really impressed with it, especially the design elements of it. I really love the the new stormtroopers design now that we get to see it in you know full body shots and mm. I'm really interested to see how the empire has evolved over the 30 years between return of the jedi and this movie and I also really like how they're Disney's really good at this uh kind of integrating story points across all their properties in a franchise so Right after they dropped the teaser trailer, a lot of people also probably watched the Star Wars Battlefront trailer that they dropped, and they announced that the first downloadable content for that was going to be this planet called uh, uh, Jakku. Yeah. So the Battle of Jakku, and that is the planet, it must be the planet, that we see in the opening uh, shot of the teaser with um, somebody on the their speeder bike, and they're going past the, the down Star Destroyer in the desert. So I think that was really cool. Because we've never actually seen a, a Star Destroyer on land to see the scale. That was neat. Mm. And I don't know. This There was a lot of stuff that gave me chills in this in a good way. I got the tingle and stuff when I saw Han Solo and Chewie. <laughs> I mean, that was the payoff for the whole teaser yeah. to me. It was really cool. Hit you right them. in the feels. Yeah. I, I mean, this is a, they haven't done this for 30 years, right? Yeah. 
And and I think that I, I read somewhere that like they traded up for like a superstar destroyer and they loans the Millennium Falcon to someone else. So I guess that's how it works into the story that they're uh, they're like, oh, we're home, being you know we're back on the Millennium Falcon, and it also you know of course works for every other fan of the freaking series. Or it's like you're home, you're back in the series. It's actors that we know and love from it. Although I wonder, is it the original guy who did Chewie? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, it's Peter Mayhew. All right, all right. That's that's that makes it a little better than I was almost afraid yeah. they were just going to get whoever to be in the suit. Yao Ming. <laughs> God. Yeah, he's tall enough. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'm just a jaded old person, but the I, I put my trust into the world for the the prequels, and it was my trust was abused and knifed and left in a ditch full of cum. So I. I'm just I this movie it's it's gonna have to prove its innocence. I'm assuming it's guilty of sucking until I see it. The mm. thing about this trailer that I wonder um, if it could be a weakness is the villain. So we we see only a few shots of what is supposed to be the villain, I guess, and he's like this Darth Revan type looking guy because he he has that kind of face mask on, and yeah. his name is supposed to be Kylo Ren or something. Yeah, and. Should we wait? We should probably say Darth Revan is from uh, Knights of the Old Republic. Right. I think anybody who knows know. Star Wars knows. Yeah, that. they should. I imagine they would. The uh, amazing, amazing series from Bioware and uh, did Bioware do the second one too? No, that was Obs- Obsidian. 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 Yeah. And then Obsidian ran out of money and just stuck it on the shelf. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. But but you can download the story stuff that was left out of that game and put it back into it through a mod. So don't worry about it. Which yeah. you totally should. I, yeah. I, after someone playing both, they really did a disservice by leaving all that stuff out. Left I you just, hanging. I'm worried about Kylo Ren. Is he more compelling? I'm, I think we got to wait till we get the first full trailer, because if you recall way back in 1998, when we got the original teaser for the Phantom Menace, you really didn't see much in that besides some droid battles and the Gungans. And then when we got the first actual trailer for Phantom Menace, that was amazing. I probably played that thing like 10,000 times on my computer because the trailer itself made the movie seem incredible, right? Didn't turn out to be incredible. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I'm saying here that I bought it once. You know, I went along with it saying, wow, this movie's going to be awesome because the trailer's great. And I'll give everybody credit for making a great couple teasers. I think it looks interesting, and I'm certainly not going to get bored watching it visually. But no, I, I didn't like the first teaser. I thought it was all right. I just I put my trust out there for it once, but now I'm I'm on the side. Of this movie sucks until I'm being proven otherwise. JJ has to earn my trust back for the franchise. I think yeah, he has to earn his he has to earn my trust after what the massacre hack job he's done to Star Trek. But I didn't like the first teaser too much because I thought it was more of just a, oh, let's show off the special effects we can do. Whereas in this one, we actually got some story elements and the plot, a little bit of it. And that's being fleshed out by the other information surrounding the teaser where, uh, like the Battlefront trailer and all that. So we know that there was this decisive battle like after Endor at Jakku where mm. the New Republic fought the Empire and something happened, and that ties into the events of The Force Awakens. It's also interesting from the trailer uh, we saw, the Empire now has a new symbol 
I guess they follow. They did a rebranding effort to try and get their message out there more or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They went with a new ad company. Yeah. Like, Got the circle going on of inclusion, but with the kind of blocky sides and everything. They hired the uh, Star Wars equivalent of BBDO. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, and also I guess it looks like at one point they were based out of like an ice planet almost resembling Hoth. Which, uh, which is an interesting kind of symbolic thing because maybe it's supposed to represent the Empire on the, uh, on the run. Kind of a reversal of spots here where we had the Rebels first there and having to flee. And now the Empire's at the Hoth-type planet or whatever and maybe they're under attack or something. Well, we got to see Darth Vader's uh, skull yeah. And yeah, his his burned helmet and stuff. So I I wonder what they're gonna do with that. How that's gonna play in it? Because that was one of those moments that gave me the the zing up my See, spine. When I saw that, I was a little worried because of what happened around it. Because there's, I think, the Mark Hamill voiceover saying, you know, my father was strong in the force. You know, my children are, my sister is, and everything. And there's this mysterious hooded figure with like a total robot arm, like by a fire. And I'm thinking, oh, is this Luke's son? Does everybody in the Skywalker family have a robot arm? Like, are they that lazy hmm. in the way they're doing this? Like, he's Luke's son because he also has an artificial hand. Like, okay. You're not a real man in the Skywalker clan until you lose your arm. I think I think John Boyega is going to be the, the main character, right? Isn't that what it's supposed to be? He's going to be the Jedi. He, John Boyega and, um, shit, what's her face? The girl who helps him up when he's on the ground. Yeah, who's supposed to be the daughter of uh, Han and Leia, right? Yeah, they're supposed to, I think, be the protagonists or the okay. people who are working against uh, the Sith guy. But, I mean, like on the John Boyega front, I just hope that he's somebody who, from the original trailer, found the Stormtrooper armor or stole it or is trying to blend in because I really can't sit through another explanation of how the Stormtroopers were clones and they weren't, and then they were clones again. Now they're different clones but this one decided he didn't want to be a stormtrooper anymore. I just, I none of that Toy Story shit. Like, just please, God, let him be somebody who's just trying to blend in as a stormtrooper. Yeah, uh, I, I think uh, that's what it is. I, I, I'm afraid, yeah, because I feel like I, I read a theory of something based on some of the reflections and everything, and all the the fact that in a lot of the shots and whatnot, you see the stormtroopers have like flamethrower type weapons that maybe they're like on some village or whatever, and when you see him. Like at one point, like there's a reflection of burning. So maybe like, you know, he's, he is a stormtrooper and he signed up for one thing, but he sees them taking down women and children or whatever, or he can't save a friend. And maybe he, and then this event happens and he, he gets force enlightened or whatever. And he's like, oh, I can't be part of this anymore. Cause they did hearken back to one point when, uh, back when Luke in episode, episode four, the new hope, when, uh, Luke was originally saying like, you know, I've got to get off here. And he was talking about – I think he was talking about joining the Empire was his original thought before he knew they were so bad. So maybe it's supposed to be taking the point of view of someone who's in the Empire or whatever and is kind of naive like that. And then they see this and then all this stuff happens like, OK, now I'm not going to be part of the Empire anymore. Yeah, he wanted to go to the, the Academy. Yeah. He wanted to follow his friend Biggs Darklighter to the Academy. Oh, wait, that never happened. That's a legend. Sorry. <laughs> but uh, I thought they actually right didn't they add into the special editions that scene with uh, him and Biggs on Yavin they they restored that scene and there was another scene I think that was never put back in that was them at Tashi Station discussing how much Tatooine sucked 
Oh, yeah, and Biggs was leaving. Yeah, Biggs was saying, like, all right, I'm right. going to the Academy now. And Luke's like, fuck, I wish I was going with you, blah, blah, blah. And that's where they had Luke's two other friends who were in all the scripts but never made it on screen. Like, what are the Cammy and Fixer or something? Yeah, who yeah. are never mentioned outside the scripts. Right. Yeah. Too bad Porkman wasn't there. Who's oh, Porkman? Porkins, yeah. Porkins. <laughs> Porkins. The, I can hold it. Appa- ah! he's, he's apparently been in a bunch of other movies, too. I, yeah. I can't I can't tell you off the top of my head, but I, I saw this BuzzFeed article that he's actually been in a bunch of different stuff, despite just being known for being the like fat fat. Uh, he's in Batman, nineteen eighty nine Batman. Huh. Who is he in that? Is he not the police detective in there? <sighs> is he yeah. really? Yeah, huh. yeah. Um, unfunny guy who had an HBO show as the reporter. Can't remember <laughs> his name. Um, yeah, I think Jack Porkins is the police detective. He's Eckhart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he is saying like, there's no bat, get out of here. <laughs> Trying to get the reporter to leave. Yeah, he gets his snacks from Jack Nicholson. Oh, I, I guess we should also <laughs> mention the whole thing that um, the X-Wing, oh, is it, are they X-Wings in the new universe or are they something else? They're like upgraded X-Wings. They look like yeah. X-Wings that have had 30 years of other shit stuff, like put on them. X-Wing yeah. plus. <laughs> They well, one of there's. I mean, there's supposed to be a whole spinoff, basically, on the X-wing pilots coming out as well. And Rogue I think, One, yeah, Rogue One, and like we're seeing the main uh, pilot who it's going to be about in that uh, in the teaser trailer, and it, it's just interesting because there was that whole thing about uh, Anakin was an amazing pilot and everything. Not to mention he had the Force to help him out with all that. So I guess they're kind of playing on that whole thing. Not to mention, I'm sorry to say, but I predict we're going to see a whole bunch of uh, maybe games or other you know merchandise come off off of that. Although if they they make another type of Rogue One great game, then I'm not going to complain. Well, you know what? I think we need some new good Star Wars games because we haven't gotten them in the last six to seven years. And I also need some new Star Wars action figures, so I'm looking <laughs> forward to it. What about the Old Republic? The Old Republic, I... I did not like that game. I thought they should have made KOTOR 3. Yeah. And when they turned it into an MMO, I knew it was going to be a clusterfuck because you can't do well with a free-to-play MMO, really. I mean, trying to play WoW's game and not follow their model is just, it's suicide. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I agree. I was very sad when I saw that they made it into an MMO. I was like, oh, this sucks. I want a real story. I don't want a fucking MMO thing that's going to sprawl on forever. Well, at the expense of our discussion of the Star Wars trailer sprawling on forever, <laughs> do you guys have anything else that uh, you want to add? No, let's talk about replacement characters. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, something that Star Wars hasn't done yet that a lot of uh, other properties have done, mainly on television, I guess, because of the way it's produced, uh, is the phenomena of the replacement character. So you're used to one actor, one actress playing a certain character throughout a show, and then either in the middle of the season or next season, bam, suddenly the character you know, they retired, they died, they're gone, something, they're on leave, and then there's this other person who shows up, like, who the fuck is this person? And sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. So we're going to talk about some of the the different sci-fi television shows that have had I would say um, a mixed track record of replacing characters successfully. 
what would you would you guys agree it's a mixed track record? Yeah. Yeah, generally. Ups and downs. So I think that the I think the easiest place to start with would be uh Star Trek the Next Generation because there's only one as far as I know. Which is uh Gates McFadden, who played Doctor Crusher, left after season one and Doctor Pulaski was on season two and then Doctor Crusher came back in season three. Right. So I mean, what, Sam? What do you think about Doctor Pulaski? Do you like her better than Doctor Crusher? Um, you know that's a hard one. I I'm usually don't. Besides, I know this is might be a little unpopular. Besides Voyager, I feel like the Doctor was never a huge character, and with Crusher and Pulaski, Pulaski was she almost seemed more objective, maybe more almost like. Maybe she was trying to do a callback to Leonard Nimoy's Spock and being like very logical and everything because it didn't seem like emotions entered into a whole lot of her character's thought process, whereas Crusher was a whole lot more emotional type of person. She was, you know, doctory too, but I think Pulaski achieved more of the cold, hard logic of science and medicine and everything. And if there were, it seemed like. If there was some hijinks going on, Pulaski wasn't going to stand for it, whereas Crusher was like, well, okay, we have to work with this. I never liked Pulaski. I thought yeah. I just, her character was never relatable. Yeah. I, mean, I know she maybe talked that thing I'm talking about, the cold hard science thing too far. Yeah, well, and she, I, I don't know, she just never really seemed like, she interacted with any of the other crew members. I mean, the mm. thing with Dr. Crusher is that, you know, she does have relationships with the members of the crew off the bridge, right? Like she's known Picard for decades and she's good friends with Riker and with Troy. You know, we see them in exercise class all the time and stuff, but Dr. They, it's like the writers never made an effort to uh, extend Pulaski's character beyond the needs of the plot right? So they never actually developed her, and I think that was because that they knew Gates McFadden was going to come back. Right, well, I think we should mention that uh, Gates McFadden, is. I don't think this is even a legend, I think it's she's admitted herself. The whole deal was that after season one, Star Trek was obviously going to continue, so everybody said, okay, well, now that we had our season, our season-length contracts are over, let's go ahead and renegotiate, I want this, and, uh, Obviously, Gates McFadden didn't get what she wanted, so she said, fuck it, I'm leaving. So they put her on, uh, she's the head of Starfleet Medical or something. Mm. That's what the character is. And then Dr. Pulaski comes in to replace her for you know, the season. And then I guess after that, either the Gates McFadden was able to come to, they met her number, or she said, okay, you know what, I'll do it for this. And everybody shook hands. Uh, either way, I don't think Dr. Pulaski was a a popular replacement. No. No. And she was clearly, uh, you know, somebody that they brought in at the last minute because uh, the actress, uh, Diana Moldar, she had guest starred on Star Trek in the 60s in a couple episodes. So most notably in the, uh, what is it, uh, the Apple, the one where they're sacrificing to the dragon guy. (laughs) Right. She's in that episode as kind of Chekhov's love interest. So... I you know I guess like the people who made Star Trek Gene Roddenberry probably had kept up a relationship with her and they could bring her in pretty quickly and you know she she plays it well I just don't think the writers 
did the character any justice or spent much time with the character because they they knew they were probably going to get Gates McFadden back, which sucks. I, she could have been something different, but as what she was on the screen, I mean, I take your point that they could have fleshed her out more and made her better, but like telling Data that his name is Data because it doesn't matter how you pronounce the word because he's not a person like that. <laughs> that Doctor McCoy wouldn't do that. I get that they were maybe trying to have more of the the gruff Doctor type like McCoy, but yeah, I don't. Th- he was just like he didn't take any shit, and he had enough to be dealing with without dealing with everybody being a retard. Like that was kind of his thing, <laughs> but he wouldn't say to somebody like, no, like I'm not, gonna, you're not a real person. So I don't care what your name is. Fuck you. Like that. That's just mean. Like who, who in Starfleet does that? Even the guy who wants to take data apart is nice to him. Yeah. <laughs> I th- And I think they've, they failed in a different way, but I think for the same reason, right. With, um, Esri Dax, because why why did uh, Jadzia's actress leave? Did she leave because she wanted to do other stuff? She, want she wanted money. more money. Okay, so they killed her, right? And then <laughs> they killed they, her in a really funny way, though. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Golduka <laughs> kills her. Yeah, and she looked. She looked. Just her actual death also looked really, really weird. The way she her the actress herself like acted when she was yeah. shot by energy or whatever. So like Golduka makes her levitate in the air and just. Like yeah. he, uses, he uses chain lightning on her with his evil paw wraith magic, and she just goes like she's having a seizure. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and then she falls over, and oh no, she's dead. Talk about the least dignified way I've ever seen someone die on TV. I know, and it was just stuck in the last like part of the episode. Like they had just finished, you know, every, everybody's agent walked out and was like, "Okay, we're we're not going to be able to reach an agreement." And then they went and filmed the scene, and the guy just wrote that in with pencil in the script, like, oh, and then she dies. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. But she was a great character. Jazzy yeah, she was. was. But and she was awesome, and being like part of the Klingons too was a lot more, a lot of fun as well. Bring them into the show more. Yeah, and it. I feel like they failed with Esri because nobody cared about Esri because they spent like six years building up the mythology of Jadzia and getting people to care about her character, and then they bring in somebody with a completely different personality, right, who just happens to have the memories of the Jadzia character, and nobody really gives a shit. I mean, there's there were much more interesting things happening on that show in terms of plot than Esri, right? And that they shoehorned her emotional stuff into a whole bunch of episodes and her relationship with Worf and her family. Her family. Under, right? family it's like nobody cares. Sucked. Her family episodes <laughs> were some of the worst in that series. I hated those. Oh, where she goes home with Chief O'Brien yeah. to, to the mining planet her parents own or whatever and her <sighs> one brother's a dick and the other one's like a serial killer artist weirdo. Yeah, and yeah. her mom's like a controlling freak. I wonder if the guys who made Wedding Crashers watched that first, because actually her weirdo killer brother reminds me of the psycho weird brother from Wedding Crashers. <laughs> oh, yeah, the painter guy? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a thought. Who wants to molest Vince yeah, Vaughn? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What her brother reminds me of. Yeah. You know what? She did have one one thing that I thought was kind of interesting, but it made me not like her as much, too, was she goes... Yeah, Jadzia kind of had a um, favorable. She let was willing to let the Klingon Empire slide a lot more. She's like, I see them as kind of like old dying traditions and everything. They're gonna break themselves apart. And part of that just made me want to say, "Fuck you, man." The Klingons are still a fucking warrior race. Well, wasn't she um, 
like Jadzia was a science officer, so he she had like a defined role on the show, and wasn't Esri like a psychologist or something? Yeah, she was, a count- she was, a she was an assistant ship counselor who, uh, because when Jadzia dies, uh, Doctor Bashir is able to save the little worm, the symbiote. Yeah, she's a- able to. Uh, he's able to save the gold from Jadzia. <laughs> Pretty much. But then I guess because he has to be on ice and in like one of those refrigeration boxes, the only Trill who was in within range to have to take the new symbiote was Esri mm-hmm. and she had never gone through like trill host school and didn't know anything like that. So it was literally just like, here's the only person we can give it to. Okay. You are the assistant ships counselor, but now the little slug in you, you have to take over as the assistant station counselor. I'm deep space nine for some reason. Wasn't because, she made the head one eventually? But she just shows up to Ben Cisco's dad's restaurant like when he's on leave, when he went insane after the wormhole closed, yeah, and she just like knocks on the door. Is like, okay, I understand. We're gonna go find the orb of the prophets now. I want to come with you, Ben. <laughs> I, I gave myself my own assignment, even though I'm a lieutenant. I just made it up. <laughs> I'm going. Yeah. I'm going on this too because the right. worm in me tells me that I probably should be doing something like this with you. I mean, there could be some interesting stuff with her. Like, I get the whole she never went to troll school, so she doesn't know what she's doing, and you know. How, the the adjustment of I guess somebody who's too young and inexperienced to have like eight lifetimes of shit dumped on you, but just the way they addressed it in the show was just she was whiny about it. Yeah, a lot. Just, mm. yeah. No one cares about like your whining, and Worf certainly doesn't care. Yeah, I mean, Worf wanted to choke her out the first time he saw her. It looked like he just had such a hateful expression on his face. You know, I think that whenever in whatever show when they replace a character, just in my opinion, it doesn't work if you're replacing a character that was really popular it only works if you're replacing a character that sucks or that you know nobody really connects with in any way who are you talking about yeah (laughs) (laughs) like it worked in stargate uh atlantis when they replaced um ford with ronin yeah. Yep. Because Ronan is a much, much, much better character than Ford and much more interesting. And he has a much more compelling backstory and things about him. And just in general, the way Jason Momoa plays him, too, right? I love that. He's Ford, a beast. Yeah, he's a beast. And Ford, he was kind of, he never really made a statement of who he was in the show. He was kind of just like, you know, airman number three. What was <laughs> even his background, though? It was like, he wants to suck Colonel Shepard's dick. Like, that was pretty evident. He was a big weapons, like, well, ex- expert or whatever, I guess. But he has, like, the standard, I guess, complement of Air Force weapons training, which is okay. Yeah. Cool. But, and then we learn in, like, the videotape episode where they're going to try and send the message in a bottle back to Stargate Command on Earth that his grandparents raised him, like... We don't really know anything else about... I mean, for fuck's sake, we know that that Major Lauren guy likes to paint because his mom was an art teacher. We know more about that asshole than we know about one of the members who was supposed to be, like... Central. Yeah, a quarter of the main team. Like, we know more about the the other guy who commands another team that we never see. Didn't mm. Lauren marry Carter in the alternate reality? I think in one, one of them, them, yeah. Ah, oh, lucky. Lauren married her? Really? Yeah. I thought it was... Oh wow! I can't believe it was Lauren. I don't remember that. I have to rewatch that. Well, that's yeah. She he was uh, Momo, and I guess they probably saw how much better of an actor Jason Momoa was too than uh, whoever played Ford. Rainbow son Franks was his name, so I guess he's part Native American. Uh, his parents are just cruel. 
really big hippies or something. Yeah. And, and as everyone probably knows, Jason Momoa from uh, Game of Thrones, Cal Drogo, another great beastly role, and going to be the uh, new Aquaman in the. Uh, he's going to be in the new movie, right? Dawn of Justice, the new uh, Batman Superman movie coming out. Yeah, I, I don't know. I feel Not like that. he is. I thought like they were going to like because they're going to introduce Wonder Woman in that, and I thought they were going to basically like do a little prequel for Justice League. Well, I mean, he might be in there in the same way that like Nick Fury is in Iron Man, where he's at the end. Like, ah, uh, like, gotcha. You know? But I think Ronan's just a much better character because you understand why he does what he does, mm. and there's a, a lot of detail explanation given to his situation as a runner. Like, he's a, a practice target for the Wraith to figure out how to hunt people better, and his home planet got fucking wrecked. And then you find out that that was because his best friends were wraith worshippers, and they betrayed the whole like the whole uh, was it Satidan people. <laughs> and then he replaced a character who was just some guy who wore a hat all the time and didn't want to give his infrared goggles to a kid on the first episode. Like, yeah, and ironically, Ford only becomes a much more interesting character after he gets fucked <laughs> up and turns yeah. crazy and disappears because he's been in. He ingested the uh, the wraith uh, venom, right? The he, enzyme, he like the enzyme, the edge of the city in that big battle with the guy with the wraith's hand on his chest, and like the great great yeah. couple episodes there. Yeah, and then he becomes actually interesting after he becomes uh, a villain, right? <laughs> I I think that villain four was was interesting. I don't think that the Rainbow Sun Franks is a bad actor. I just think that. He, the writers of the show were just like, hmm, we need a fourth person yeah, for this team. What do we do with this guy? Mm. Yeah, what do we do with this guy? I don't know. Fuck it. We'll figure it out later. Yeah, the team was much better when they got the dynamic going between Shepard, McKay, Ronan, and Taylor. That was yeah. the best core team, I think, that they could do with that show. Well, you know what? They were probably following the SG-1 example, and it's like, okay, we're going to have two like Air Force people. It's going to be Ford and... Uh... And Shepard, just like there was um, Richard Dean Anderson and um, like uh, Car and Agent Car and uh, Car Colonel Carter. So they were probably like, "We'll do that too," and they're just going to do two aliens instead of a Daniel Jackson because McKay is going to take over for like sciencey stuff. But we're not going to have an archaeology person. We're just going to have someone who's a guide of the normal of the local place or something. Right, and then when you try to replace really, really popular characters like Colonel O'Neill with Cam Mitchell, it doesn't work. No, that's that's the biggest that's the biggest one to me that doesn't work. Not that I hate the Cam Mitchell character with a passion or anything, <laughs> but he's just not in any way as good as the Colonel O'Neill character. It's like he's like the Diet Coke version. Oh God, I don't like yeah. Him at all. Yeah, he was. Still, he tries to be all folksy and stuff, and it just falls flat every fucking time. Yeah, right? They should so have made sad. him his own character at least. Like, don't yeah, don't like pin him into the corner of being like the replacement O'Neill. They could have made him different. But if you think about it, like that, I don't want to come down on Ben Browder because, as Farscape proves, he's a good actor. He's capable of doing you know a good job. But Colonel O'Neill, Colonel Mitchell, Colonel Shepard. All try to act dumber than they are. All military-focused people. All competitive. All have weird hobbies. Like, they're the same character with different names with some minor variations. 
I just think that the the writing maybe was really lazy on the Stargate staff in that regard that they had like here is the leader of the team. It must be this kind of person. Their personality like must be this. And I, I think that that's just Richard D. Anderson was suited to that. He did it really well. And then when he left, they just tried to say, okay, well, we got to replace him with somebody. But we don't have a, the rest of the team's the same, so we have to put that same kind of person back in there. You know, even though they didn't give it a chance, really, that's why I feel like Stargate Universe ultimately could have had more potential, just because they weren't locked into that four character dynamic. They yeah. were much more of an ensemble show, and I feel like that that if they had pursued it more, that would have given them the ability to create deeper stories between those characters, rather than just have everything focused on these four archetypes that they feel like they must have, right, to get the formula of the show right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because even in Atlantis, the, I mean, Rodney McKay takes over for Colonel Carter as, like, the science member of the team. Taylor is the Daniel Jackson who's going to talk about the local culture and try to interface the team's objectives with what's happening and is knowledgeable about what's going on in the universe because they're familiar with the mythology or familiar with the, the people who live there. And then I guess that you have Ronan and Teal'c that I don't think we need to discuss their similarities yeah, because they're pretty apparent. Like the beasts of the team. Right. Like, and they, they, the episode where they meet each other is cool and everything. And that's all well and good, but yeah, Grant's absolutely right. There's just the four person archetype and everybody, all the characters have to be the same, whether or not you put different names in front of them. There's still the four different types of people on the team that they got themselves locked into. Mm. Yeah. Now, I know that at the time, they probably didn't want to mess with that formula because the show was a big headliner for sci-fi. But I feel like they would have had as much or more success if they had played around with those archetypes a little bit of those four dominant characters. Like if they had said, okay, well, the guy, the leader of the team is not going to be some folksy, pretendies, really dumb guy who just happens to be a good leader type character. Maybe if they had... I don't know, giving him more of an edge or something like that, or actually giving him some kind of other backs. You know, one of the things in SG-1, actually, that always uh, I thought worked well was they always used what they knew about Colonel O'Neill's backstory to give him depth, and they didn't do that with uh, Cam Mitchell very much. Mm. Besides, uh, well, we know about, like, that he was shot down in the battle with Anubis's fleet, right? And that he requested yeah. that he would be assigned to SGC after he recovered. And that's basically what we know about him. Whereas with Colonel O'Neill, we know that, you know, his son killed himself with his service pistol, right? And he was kind of suicidal for a while. And that had an influence on the show and a lot of episodes. But yeah. you don't see that same kind of effect with Mitchell at all. There's that movie about his, like, grandfather or something where it's actually not his grandfather. It's him. Yeah, Continuum. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, that's his background, I guess, as far as his lineal descendants. Like, okay. Yeah, it's not really his own personal background. The most, like, personal backgrounds you get about him are there's the shitty high school reunion episode. (laughs) Yeah. The mention that his grandmother or mother made macaroons a lot. Yeah. He brings in the people in the hospital. Reading my mind, I was about to say that. And then the clip show where he visits his dying best friend who is also a pilot or something. Or, no, his dying best friend who was in Afghanistan or something. Yeah. And they used the the 
one of the devices they found somewhere to have a clip show of the guy learning about Cam Mitchell's great adventures. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. that's it. Like we don't know anything else about the guy. So that's my objection to him is that he's just Colonel O'Neill light and we never, there's no Colonel O'Neill depth to him. Like we don't understand why he's going to lose his shit and scream at the archaeologist guy in that planet in the time loop episode. Like, you know, yeah, I lost my son. Like tell me about how losing your wife sucks. Yeah. All right. And it's not funny either. No. Cam Mitchell have been like, can it want a macaroon? <laughs> oh, your wife died? Well, my grandma always made macaroons when her wife died. Do you yeah. want some? <laughs> the only, the only uh, exception to that rule of replacing a popular character that I can think of is Jonas Quinn replacing Daniel Jackson. Because in no way is he as good as the Daniel Jackson character, but... I kind of like Jonas Quinn. I always did like him because they made him his own character. Yeah. Yeah. But to note again, also about money. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. that one I know. That's it. Yeah. Didn't Michael he, didn't, Shanks wanted a lot more money, so they killed him. Didn't he also like, I thought I read somewhere too, they wanted to like go beyond Broadway or something or like do plays. Am I just making that up? Did he not? It might have been his backup plan after the people at Sci-Fi told him we're not paying you that much money. <laughs> Why well, I just wanted to do Broadway anyway. Fine, you can't fire me, I quit. And then he died of radiation poisoning. <laughs> I thought it was cool though, how Jonas was introduced and like he was in some way responsible for Daniel's death. Mm. And then he felt like he had to make up for that. So he would he stole he stole something. The quadria. Yeah, he stole their highly enriched shit that was too dangerous for them. Yeah. And was exiled or he was, you know. He's a political. Basically, he would have been a political prisoner if he had stayed, or a traitor. Yeah, he would have been probably tried for treason. So he fled to Earth, and there's like that great first few episodes where Colonel O'Neill's like, you know, you killed like one of my best friends, so you know, fuck you. And then they slowly grow to. He slowly becomes a member of the team. Yeah, right. And and he fills the Daniel Jackson role, mm-hmm. but you can see they did a really good job with it because he doesn't do it effectively at first. Right, mm-hmm. he's fumbling through Daniel's notes and he doesn't know what the hell to do with them. Yeah, yeah. Whereas they just expect you to believe in Cam Mitchell as the leader of the team from the very first episode. There's no adjustment period. I thought they did a good job of that with Jonas. Because Cam Mitchell had all that time in the hospital to read the SG-1 mission reports. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's what he said. Like, I read about this a lot when I was recovering. I was looking forward to my new assignment. So it's like he's a master of everything about the Stargate because he read about it. Because everybody knows reading a book makes you a real expert. He also doesn't have like, uh, you know, there's, Bo Bridges comes in to replace Richard Dean Anderson as the head. So he doesn't have, and like all the team is gone. So he doesn't have like the team basically being like, all right, get up to stuff. It's like, Oh no, you're recreating this from scratch. So I guess yeah. that he also doesn't have that leaning over him. Where Qu- whereas Jonas Quinn is like, Oh no, this is like the top team. If you want to be on this, you have to have your shit completely together. But I guess that's why they gave him that little cool power. That's common of all the uh, people on his planet that, he can like he's basically can he's like a sponge. He can read stuff super quickly and learn stuff really fast. So that's how they explain why he can like translate H and, and whatever and like not as good as Daniel Jackson, of course, but he can like still be better than most people in such a short amount of time. Yeah, I, Jonas is is different, but he's good in his own way, which is why I think he works as a replacement. I prefer Daniel Jackson. Yeah. But like I'll I'll take Jonas. Yeah. I mean especially and there's some funny episodes in there, like the the one where God, the I Felger, the guy who's always fucking everything up. Oh, um, Walter. 
Were they no. the replacements? Or? Yeah, the replacements. Yeah. Felger and oh, uh, the guy yeah. who played Dr. Flox, the other scientist. Yeah. They're trying to get the rings to work or whatever, and they, they think they have to rescue SG-1. Mm-hmm. And there's Jonas Quinn in there like, so we got captured on purpose, right, guys? And they're explaining this to him because, you know, he didn't grow up on Earth and had never seen any movies where people got captured on purpose, so it's a foreign concept. Like, <laughs> it works. I kind of like it. I, I, yeah. I liked his little, his funny, he had some great quirky moments too, like how he is obsessed with the Weather Channel. Oh, yeah, the Weather Channel. You can tell the weather any part of the planet anytime you want. It's amazing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is one of my – it's like, you know what? If you are from another planet and you have that tech and you just can see it, it's like, yeah, that would be pretty fucking cool just to have that power at your, te- at your fingertips. Yeah, I mean the the – was the Colonian people were like in the 19, what, 30s or 40s about? Yeah. Yeah. In most respects. So, yeah, TV, radio – like radio and TV might have been something he could conceive of, but the – the idea that you can know like the weather in China or something just by clicking on this channel on the TV. Wasn't Teok obsessed with like soap operas or something? Well, yeah, Teok was into yeah. soap operas. He loves Star Wars. Yeah. It's his favorite movie. <laughs> <laughs> and he's uh he sat through the vagina monologues at least once. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, one of the better episodes where Teok gets to that thing gets to like the theater and the lady starts reading the intro and he just looks to his left looks to his right and there's like the lesbian <laughs> chick with all the rings and she just nods at him and there's the old fat lady like what's up and he's just like okay this should be good then the lady on stage starts reading the vagina monologues and he just goes like oh fuck <laughs> <laughs> just puts that frown on yeah, his expression changes <laughs> uh, he was that that actor he, who played Tilk, very good at these subtle changes that like almost nothing but you could tell when something had changed yeah chris judge uh i think he should definitely get a call out for being a master of acting with your face. Yeah. Because oh, yeah. he didn't have to say anything as Teal, but you knew what he was thinking. Yeah, just his facial expressions, like in his his body language overall. That's how Teal does most of his talking. Yeah. Was, I mean, he's he's great. Although he he uh Batman still kicked his ass in Dark Knight Returns. Yeah, he yeah. showed up for two yeah. seconds. Yeah. I, but, I I got a call out one of my favorite moments of him just where it was because of this subtleness that he did in his character, that one time when he when they had their chips in their heads that wanted them to explore everything for the race of people that we never saw. And it was played by, it was a guest appearance. Oh, Ergo. Yeah. Ergo. Ergo. Yeah. When they like, they had the coffee and he just takes a huge coffee pot and just like downs a whole bunch of the steaming coffee. He goes, I think I'll have more of that. And he just downs a whole bunch of it. Amazing for Teal just being so out of character. And then, yeah, but isn't uh, Daniel or Colonel Neil say, isn't that hot? And he goes, extremely hot. <laughs> <laughs> His symbiote healed him. <laughs> That's what I was thinking, though. Like, the Ergo chips, like, just drink it. You know, your symbiote can repair it. Just fucking drink it. I want to know what it's like. <laughs> yeah. I want to feel it. Well, and I'm trying to think uh, who, who, oh, yeah, like, when they replaced Dr. Frazier with uh, Dr. Lamb, like, that, again, that was one where it doesn't work because they never gave her anything to do, whereas Dr. Frazier was always a really integral part of the episode. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so much so that she actually got killed going to another planet. Right, and it actually meant something, whereas yeah. if somebody came in and shot Dr. Lamb in the head, nobody would have given a crap. Well, General Landry would because it's her dad yeah. for some reason. Right, but we never really learned that much about General no, Landry until the like, um, the series finale, right? But even then, like that's we know more about General Hammond than we ever do about General Landry, yeah. right? We know more about General Neal than we do about we. I mean, fuck, we know more about Senator Kinsey than we do about General <laughs> Landry, really. Yeah, like as far as his personality or his lifestyle, he likes to garden. He likes to garden, and he has a 
he has a cabin that General Neil gave him to use. There's that episode where they go out, him and Mitchell go out to the cabin, even though it's supposed to be the whole team. So yeah. unless he likes being in the wilderness. Oh, he's a bird watcher. This is a really strong character. I like it. <laughs> Let's build him up. We know so much about him. He likes to watch birds in the woods and he likes to garden. Yeah, so yeah. I think that's for the bottom line for me is if you're trying to replace a popular character, you're almost certainly going to fail. What about replacing a character who has like mixed to unpopular reception? Mm. Well, that, yeah, then it kind of works like with Ronan and uh, Ford. Yeah. Well, somebody who I think has just like an even split, like when they replaced Dr. Weir, not the first time, not when they replaced her between SG-1 and Atlantis, where she went from blonde to brunette and went from being, you know, literally one person to another. <laughs> but when they, they killed her in Atlantis and replaced her with uh, Colonel Carter. Ah, uh, yeah. That was kind of out of place for me. That's hard, though, because it's a different situation because it's not like it's someone entirely new. I mean, yeah. Carter was right. Carter was so loved and everything. She was such a great character from SG One. It's like, oh yeah, I want SG One characters in Atlantis. They'll fight, they'll get shit going. Like they'll get so- and it's Carter who knows. Like it's like, oh, let's get one of our super geniuses over in Atlantis. Like she'll make shit happen, and she does. Well, I mean, again, another one about money. Apparently, uh, I can't remember her name. Tori Higginson. Yeah, thought she was worth more than she was, and Atlantis told her get her heels to click and get the fuck out of here. So I, I guess they called Amanda Tapping and asked her if she wanted to come back. And so she was in charge of Atlantis for season four, I think. And then she was replaced in the same way. I guess you had General Hammond, General O'Neill, General Landry. You had Dr. Weir, Colonel Carter, and then uh, Mr. Woolsey. Right, from as, the IOA. Yeah, who again, I guess we had known a little bit about before. But, but actually, he had a good character arc. Yeah. He I went from him. being this weasel guy to actually having to make life and death decisions, and how he dealt with that was interesting. Well, I think that's it's a interesting, especially in light of like, I think when he's interviewing Daniel one time in SG One with his little dictaphone, and Daniel says, "Yeah, you know, you don't know a goddamn thing about like how this really works because you're never out there." In the same way, you had three generals running SG One, you had three people running Atlantis, and the last one was Mister Woolsey. Mm. And how he Grant was saying he goes from being like a, a weaselly douche who's just a government bureaucrat who likes to spend his time tearing people down and saying like, oh, you made a mistake there, but never actually does anything himself. Yeah. And then he's he's cast into a position where he has to start making those decisions and finds out being able to just call, like, say people did something wrong. Hindsight's much easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I, I, that's pretty good. Yeah. And the episode where um, Colonel Shepard, maybe, somebody's going to be executed and Mr. Woolsey goes and goes back to being an attorney because I guess he was a lawyer before. Yeah, where he had to, and, has to like talk to the new kind of government that's set up between all the non-Wraith people. Yeah, he goes before them and argues to, I, I think it's Colonel Shepard, argues to exonerate him. Yeah, it's the whole team. I think it's like the whole Atlantis expedition. That he but they have one it. person in custody. Yeah, they, they have the team. Yeah. They have the whole team in custody. Yeah. And yeah, he has to, and he basically has to be all political and everything and get the, uh, there's like three judges. One of them like says like, oh no, I'm going to be voting against you because, because of you, the replicators came back and killed my daughter, my family. And there's another guy who's impartial. And then there's another guy who was going to go against them because he was going to go with the, uh, where the other military people in Atlantis, the ones who had the like hydrogen bomb or whatever. The Janai. Yeah, he was going to go with the Janai as being like their main, 
their main like military force. But Wolsey's like, oh no, 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 you should you should go for us. Don't worry, we're gonna have a big commitment in this system. We're not gonna go away. Yeah, the Janai, Chief O'Brien in charge of a whole society. Yep. Who's later killed in a bomb in a flash of white light. I mean, how he kills he's killed is really funny. He's just like, all right, bye. And then it's just a blinding flash of white because he gets incinerated by a hydrogen bomb. Yeah. <laughs> well, remember the, the maxim from the DS9 writers that O'Brien must suffer at O'Brien least one episode suffer. a season. <laughs> I just, you know, it's uh, it's always a good time when you have an effective replacement. But I think that unfortunately most of them either the best you can get is like a Woolsey where it's like, okay, well something has changed or a Jonas Quinn where I don't prefer him over the original, but he's adequate. Like I'll keep watching the show. He's pretty good in his own way. Or or you get a callback to it or you get an old favorite character who comes back like with Sit Carter. Yeah. I, I just, that there's, I don't think that if you're replacing somebody who's actually popular, popular, it's going to work. I think that the best outcome in that scenario, you're replacing somebody who is beloved, you get Jonas Quinn, somebody who's different, mm-hmm. but acceptable. Yeah. Who doesn't detract from the show. Right. Like they could have replaced Dr. Weir in the second episode for me. Oh yeah. She was, yeah. she was just, she was supposed to be the whole diplomatic and negotiating person, but it never really stuck terribly well. And and she was replaced because I, I read up on that. She was replaced because she didn't like where the writers were going with her character or something. Translation, she wanted more money. Probably. Yeah. And she came back here and there, but I, I remember they tried to get her back for that episode where um Oh <laughs> yeah. They had like the replicator version of her or something, and, yeah. and instead it wasn't. It just like it didn't work out for whatever reason. They they Esri Daxter, they put somebody else in the role and just said she has all of her memories. Yeah. So it's the same. Oh yeah, uh, she's just the same person, guys. She just had has a different form completely. But I, I don't know. I think overall, it's just a bad idea to replace people. I, I guess it happens if somebody actually leaves or in the unfortunate example when they had to replace, uh, what's-his-face from Angel, Irish guy, because he actually died. Oh, yeah, Do- um, yeah. Doyle. Did, Doyle. He, did he actually – well, in the yeah. show he died. The actor did. He died in the show, and then the actor died, Like I think, a couple weeks after that. Like very Really? Yeah, so they had to replace him. Oh, wow. But I think the good rule of thumb is generally if you don't have to – Maybe you want to cough up the money because then you get a Dr. Pulaski if you try to replace him. Yeah. And nobody likes that. Yeah. Yeah, that would suck. So is there any any other examples you guys want to cite? Um, I'll just do a quick auto mention of that show, Primeval. It was an English show about in England, basically these – we won't call them wormholes. They call them anomalies. Basically like little portals open up around England and like – they can go to different times to the future or the past. So like you have dinosaurs walking through or like woolly mammoths coming out and everything. A show that I think was, it's kind of in this character category because their main characters were replaced so often, like every season, like the main team leader was going to someone else and it kept, it kept switching so much where by the season five, there were three members of the original cast still on the show. And they tried to reboot it actually in America a couple times, but it was just guilty of, trying to replace every character and the popular ones too. Like we're not spared either. I don't know if it was a money thing or if it was, Oh, we're just trying to make the show more real by having people being able to die at any minute. But it was just a prime example of like trying, you try to build up and have people invest in characters and then you just 
kind of fall on your face when uh, the characters you care about are just killed and they try to replace them with terrible effect. And of course, Sliders, too. If anyone ever watched that, you got some good characters replaced in that. And then that show just kind of were going off the rails after a while. Yeah, I mean, Sliders is just a confusing thing overall, so it's hard to go ahead and, and say like there's a a definitive replacement that killed it. Yeah. I'll have to watch Primeval. I haven't seen it. It's not bad. The first couple seasons, though, are much better than the uh, the tail end of it. And there are points where you just get pissed off at some of the people because they make stupid decisions. Well, uh, <laughs> we're going to make a smart decision then, and uh, we're going to let this uh, be the, the final part of the episode here. I think we've had a good discussion about the different replacements out there and Maybe why they fail. So, you know, if you are a curious Hollywood producer, you're welcome for the free advice. Uh, This episode will be going up uh, Sunday the 19th. And make sure to check us out on Twitter. Tweet your hatred or your comments at us. And we will be back like clockwork next Sunday. Thank you for listening. Super high sci-fi mic drop.